0: Amen. We'll take your Bibles tonight and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We have been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount for quite some time now. There's so much there and we've not broken it down into every single verse, but at least every single passage. And boy, what a tremendous uh, sermon, what a tremendous amount of uh, information Jesus puts into this sermon that just gives us the exact way that we ought to live and We're drawing toward the end of this, the greatest sermon that's ever preached, and there's still going to be a bit of teaching yet to come. But by and large, Jesus has moved on to the personal application. Uh, He's done a lot of teaching, and now one of the reasons the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon ever preached is because Jesus is the greatest preacher. And it should not be a surprise to us then to find that just like any other preacher who um, is 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 a good speaker, a good preacher, he's able to draw a conclusion from everything that's been preached, able to draw a personal application. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing as he's drawing closer to the end of this message. He's trying to apply it to us personally. And this thought in these two verses is the beginning of that application of of pressing people to make a decision based on everything that they've heard up to this point. And he does that by way of contrasting An illustration that likens our choice to the broad or the narrow way. And we see that in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So what does it mean that the Christian life is a straight and narrow way? What is Christ actually saying with this illustration? What was Jesus trying to get across by saying that those who will follow his teaching will go through the straight gate and be on the narrow way? Let's talk about that tonight. Enter ye in at the straight gate. Let's pray, and then we'll look at a couple thoughts here this evening. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for our time that we can spend together. I pray that you would bless it and that you give us what we need in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to see is this. You cannot take the old crowd into the new life. One of the devil's greatest successes, I believe, is to build within people a herd mentality. Uh, take the fashion industry, for example. Someone somewhere in Paris—and boy, I, I just every once in a while you happen to see a picture of somebody walking down one of these runways with these these fashion choices. And boy, I'm telling you what, sometimes it looks like somebody just slipped a garbage bag over their head, or wrapped themselves in a whole roll of toilet paper, or took the comforter off the bed and just wrapped it around and decided to walk down the runway. I have no idea who in their right mind would actually wear some of these clothes, but apart from that, you know, some of the designs and things like that, and, and somebody somewhere in Paris or somewhere else, you know, decides and decrees what the trends will be, and then the whole rest of the world follows, you know? Uh, all you have to do to prove that trends change and that we follow those trends is to go back and look at a picture of yourself from 15 or 20 years ago, right? And you can see how your fashion choices have changed. Boy, I look back at some of the pictures of the 80s and into the 90s, and it, isn't it funny that you can always look at a picture and tell what era it came from? You could tell if it came from the 80s or the 90s or the early 2000s, and you remember for a while there. And I, and I, I mean, I, I'm not going to get into a whole uh, whole thing about this, but you remember when the when the balloon pants were in style, right? Everybody's walking around with jeans that the legs on these things were just huge, you know, and especially people who were shorter looked like the jeans were about this tall, you know. Uh, but somebody somewhere decided that that was a fashion choice and everybody started doing it, right? Uh, There's so many other things that, that fit right into those kind of things. You'll discover just how much fashions change and how much entire cultures mark together in lockstep as those changes take place. It's very easy to see that because you go out to the mall or somewhere, you know, you go out to the store and it just seems like everybody's wearing the exact same thing. It might be different colors, but it's the exact same thing. And it's that herd mentality. It's not wrong to be fashionable, assuming that the scriptural principles are maintained, but I just use that to illustrate how people move together, you know? Uh, broadly speaking, they want to be in a crowd. The loner is an enigma. He's an exception. He's, uh, he's someone the majority views with distaste a lot of times. The problem with that, as it bears on a Christian life is that the whole crowd is not going to come to Christ. Most people are not going to come to Christ, sadly, Most people are going in the opposite direction. They're not interested in the straight and narrow way. They're interested in that broad, meandering way. And the Bible makes that very clear that there's a lot of people that are moving down that broad way. You think about the difference between, you know, maybe some kind of, I don't know, Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago is free to get in. And so, you know, crowds of people can all walk through and it's just a big, wide open gate and you can go in that way. But then you go to maybe Wrigley Field and you have to have a ticket to get in and it's one at a time. Right, and that's kind of the way that it is with the broad and the narrow way. There's a lot of people because it's the easy thing to do, walking down that broad road, walking down that meandering wide pathway, and yet the narrow, straight way. One at a time, it seems like when somebody gets saved, his old crowd and he has one is it's not he's not going to join him. He has to come there alone many times. Yes, he will meet new friends on that on that narrow path, but he'll never again be part of the large majority. And that's not a bad thing. The contrast between the world and, and mature Christianity are very startling. The mature Christian life is lived alone for the most part, in private or in small groups. It requires an inward strength. It requires an ability to stand up against the push and the pull of the crowd. It requires the ability to, to, to swim upstream, to fight against the current. The easiest thing to do is to just float with the current, right? You ever taken a canoe trip where you actually had to go upstream? It's a whole lot harder than just letting go and letting the boat get taken down with the, with the current. But that's exactly what happens when we become a Christian. We can we become a Christian and we turn our lives around and we start heading back in the direction that Christ wants us to go. And that is directly opposite of the way that the world is going. We're going to have to fight to go upstream. We're going to have to fight uh, to, to live for Christ. On the other hand, the world sells all its attractions. You know, hey, Ever, the gang's all here. No one goes against the crowd when it comes to the world. Everybody's just meandering on together. And they fight to get to the center of the crowd and to be the most popular. But the Christian life is a life that requires personal self-examination. It requires introspection, looking at myself to see where I am. And obviously to enter salvation is where we enter that, that narrow way. And then it requires basically individual courage to, to be pursued and to be lived right. That's what it requires to live the Christian life. Uh, we're we're going to fight against the crowd. In fact, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. Or, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 4. While you're turning over there, I want you to remind you about the illustration of Elijah in the Bible. Elijah was sad, he was discouraged, and yet it's um, a wonderful picture of exactly what happens. He, was, he ran into the wilderness, and he, he got so discouraged that he was pleading for God to take his life, right? Why was that? Elijah said, all of these people, and here I'm the only one, I'm the only one that's willing to serve Jesus Christ. I'm the only one that's willing to serve God. Everybody else in this country is bowed their knee to bail. Everybody else is compromising. I'm the only one, and I can't handle it anymore. I just want to die. Of course, he wasn't all by himself. There was many others, and God pointed that out to him, but he felt like he was. You know, and that's often the case with God's people. One of the best lessons that I learned as a young man was that I didn't have to let the crowd, the wrong crowd, push me in the wrong direction. Um, My history and yours is filled with examples of a need for that. And more importantly, so is the word of God. Um, Abraham stood alone. Moses stood alone. David stood alone. The prophets stood alone. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stood alone. Jesus stood alone, Paul stood alone, and the list goes on and on and on. And when a person initially comes to Christ, this can be at first pretty difficult, pretty puzzling. Why doesn't everybody want to do this? Why doesn't everybody want to go in, the, in this narrow, straight way? Why do my old friends not want to share this with me? Why do they think that I'm so strange? But the Bible says this in First Peter chapter 4 and verse number 3. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. See, the, the truth is that the old crowd is convicted, they're intimidating, uh, intimidated uh, by a new Christian's faith, and their response is to tempt, to seduce, to attack, to criticize, to laugh, to mock. They desire at all costs, to drag the Christian, the new Christian, right back into the old life that he used to have. Because that's the mire that they're wallowing in. And what do they always say? Misery loves company, right? If I can make somebody else miserable, then at least I'm not miserable alone. And there's no doubt that they're miserable. And when a a person becomes a new Christian and he gets saved, and he's no longer miserable, that old crowd is going to try to pull him back into that. No, you cannot be with the old crowd and on the straight and narrow way at the same time you might say, well, great job, Pastor. You're, you're really enticing me to Christianity. You're telling me that if I come to Christ, you're gonna, you're gonna lose all, I'm going to lose all my friends, and I'm going to face pressure from them to return to the old life and everything else. But what you give up is so small in comparison with what you gain when you get Christ. I promise that he's going to replace it with something a whole lot better, something that the world has no idea about. Yes, you give up the old crowd, but you gain Jesus you gain the, the family of God in this church. You gain the world to come, uh, you gain in the world to come eternal life. And boy, there's nothing that can replace those things. Give up the old crowd. You can't take them with you on the straight and narrow way. Can't take the old crowd into the new life. But secondly, you cannot take the ways of the world into the new life either. The world lives and breathes a lifestyle that's in direct contrast to the straight and narrow way. Uh, scheming for position, scheming for inva- advancement. Those things, those all have to be left behind. Anger and wrath and a temper must be left behind. Juicy sharing of gossip must be left behind. Pride of position must be left behind. The vanity of a of a self-inflated sense of our own uh, beauty or self-worth, our own greatness must be left behind. The background static of, of just a continuous and constant uh, called to entertainment, which honestly, it deafens the voice of God in our own souls, and we fail to hear God speaking to us so many times because of that constant static of that entertainment, but a lust for possessions and women and men and wine and song and houses and lands, it has to be left behind if we're going to truly follow Christ. Body jokes, foul language, unforgiving bitterness, unbridled greed, deceitful lies, all of those things must be left behind when we come to Jesus Christ. You have to leave behind not just a crowd from that old life, but the way the old crowd thinks and the way the old crowd operates. I mentioned it this morning in the message that unto the pure are all things pure, but unto them that are defiled, everything is defiled. And it's a mindset, it's a way of thinking. And once we we come to Christ, then then our mindset changes and not only do we no longer run with the old crowd, but we have to get rid of that old mentality, that old thinking as well. You gotta throw out the priorities, purge that lifestyle, eliminate the appetites of the flesh. And in turn, we have to embrace what comes along with the straight and narrow way. Turn over to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. We're not gonna be long tonight, but Ephesians chapter four, there's just such a, it's such an important principle here that Jesus is preaching to us in this message that we have two choices. We have a straight and narrow. We got the bright, the broad and meandering, the wide way that everybody takes. But the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. That word conversation is our lifestyle. Put off the old lifestyle concerning the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Don't you see that those are the, those are the elements, the foundational elements of our Christian life? It, it, it's that we, that we just desire righteousness. We desire true holiness. And that comes at a cost of getting rid of everything else that's going to hinder us and hold us back from that. Can't take the old crowd into the new life. You can't take the ways of the world into the new life. But here's another thing: you can't take your old self into the new life. If we're honest with ourselves, and we must be on this, st- and we have to be honest with ourselves, if we're on the straight and narrow way, then the problem with the old crowd was not just with the crowd; it was also with us. Um, it's it's not just the old crowd that causes people to sin. They sin because that's woven through the very fabric of who they are. It's woven through the very uh, fabric of their own inner self. That's why monasteries never produce real holiness. You can separate yourself from the world, but you cannot separate yourself from yourself. And that's who we're fighting against. We're fighting against the flesh. That's me. That's the old me, and that's who I'm fighting against. I can separate myself from the world, and, and honestly, those that's not a bad thing. That helps us to, to push away from all of those kind of things, but you can't separate yourself from yourself. You have to be, in the words of Paul, we have to put on the new man. Bitterness is an inward sin. Lust is an inward sin. Greed is an inward sin. Covetousness is an inward sin. Pride is an inward sin. Those are things that will destroy us, absolutely destroy our lives. Those have nothing to do with what's going on in the outside around us. It has everything to do with me, the old man. The New Testament gospel is, is very humbling to self. It's very humbling to pride. Jesus even began sermon with the sermon with these words, Blessed blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. The straight and narrow way involved dying to self and yielding my life to him to, to, to let Christ live out his life in mine. You can't take the old crowd into the new life. You can't take the ways of the world into the new life. You can't take your old self into the new life, but you must know this. You must accept that the straight and narrow way will be often difficult and that this is not going to change until we arrive at our destination. Obviously, our destination is heaven. That's, if we live a normal life, for most of us, that's, that's quite a long journey. 50, 60, 70, 80 years that we have. Obviously, that could change, that could end differently, but holiness is being like Christ, and it isn't easy to give yourself to live like Christ in such a satanic age, it's, it's not an easy thing at all. The world pushes hard against you. The flesh pushes hard against you. The devil pushes hard against you. But constantly and consistently and compassionately and courageously, we must continue on that straight and narrow way. I'm just amazed whenever I see videos of, a, of salmon that are swimming upstream. You know, I've, I've watched some documentaries before on, uh, you know, a whole documentary on kind of the life of a salmon, and you see what they do when they swim upstream, and it, it takes so much effort, it takes so much energy, uh, but what a tremendous battle they rage because they have a purpose, and nothing is going to keep them from that purpose. It doesn't matter what they have to go through, it doesn't matter what they have to fight through, they do it. In the Christian life, this side of glory is always going to be the lonely compared to the crowd, the lonely, upstream life. We're going to fight against the current. We're going to have to fight toward that purpose. And that purpose is to hear Jesus Christ say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You can't float with the currents and tides and live a real Christian life. You can't conform to the, to the spirit of the age and constantly give in to the whims and the desires of our own flesh and claim to be on the straight and narrow. No, we have to take up our cross and follow him. If you long for popularity and ease, somebody said this way, if you long for flashing neon lights, acclaim of others, houses and lands, or being part of the in crowd, then you must take the Broadway. The great trouble is that this Broadway inevitably leads to destruction. There is no popularity, no pride, no ease, no fashion, no fun, no neon lights, no parties, no houses and lands in hell. And that's precisely where all those lemmings are going right off a cliff. See, Christ in this great sermon does not call us to an easy life. He calls us to a straight and narrow way. It's not going to look like the world. The world's not going to like it. But in the end, it's heaven. And the only other alternative is destruction. I'm, I'm not calling you to an easy life this evening. I'm calling you to enter in at the straight gate and to continue your whole life long on that narrow way. And yes, you're going to face struggles. Yes, you're going to face people who are going the other opposite direction that are just that just don't understand. But inevitably, we're going to find at the end of all of that the best of life. But you only get that wonderful existence we call eternal life if you enter in at the straight gate. And there's a lot of people who apply this part of the sermon to. Um, people who are on the broad way toward destruction and hell and people who have accepted Christ and are on the narrow way toward heaven. And I think you can certainly apply that to this. But it's also the fact that we have a choice on whether or not we're going to follow Christ after we've been saved or we're going to follow the crowd. The crowd, there's so many Christians who are still on that broad way because they're all going the same direction. Very few Christians on that straight and narrow way. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord even if it's occasionally lonely, even if it's occasionally difficult, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's the straight and narrow way. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ calls us to. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Why don't we be the ones that are going to determine that we'll be on the straight and narrow way instead of being on that broad, winding, meandering way that so many people are finding themselves on that's leading directly to destruction. Let's find the straight and narrow, and let's stay on it. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. Thank you for the time that we can spend together tonight. And God, I thank you for this message, the greatest sermon that's ever been preached by Jesus Christ himself, and what a tremendous testimony it is to us, what a tremendous example it is to us on how we ought to live. And God, I pray that you help us to heed it, and that we'd follow it. And God, that we might find ourselves on the straight and narrow way. Not an easy way, but the best way. Not a fun way necessarily, but a very rewarding way. I pray that you help each one of us to have that desire to live for you. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation as the piano plays. The invitation is open. You can come.